Ed Milet, what's up, brother? You, my friend, are one of my favorite people in the entire world. That's mutual. You know that, right? I do. And for multiple reasons. Hey, your voice is like honey. I mean, bro, listen, I've, I've never listened to anybody in my entire life who has a voice that just flows, resonates, motivates, booms, but it's also calm and collected. Like, why didn't you go into radio? I was my major in college. Was it? Yeah, I was a broadcast major in college. And just I got to ask you, yeah. did you practice did you build this voice probably a little like it's a naturally deep voice but i think probably maybe in college if i look back on i probably learned to enunciate you know right. a little bit better or maybe go octave deeper but yeah. now it's my actual voice so in fact today it's a little bit weak because i did my audio book in the studio right. today so i've broken it down a little bit so that's some training that stuck for years and it's just there yeah uh, god didn't give me very many gifts he didn't give me good looks or height uh, or anything like that but he gave me he gave bad. me the voice that's what i got so Ed, I've looked up to you for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. Yes. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends. Tons. Uh, my first encounter with you was somebody randomly sent me one of your podcasts, and within the first five minutes, I was like, this is my guy. Thank you. And uh, as, as soon as I started listening to it, you know we're from the um, LDS faith, Church of I Jesus do. Christ. Yeah. And I thought, this guy sounds like he's a member of our church mm -hmm. because just the way that you come across and the mm -hmm. way you speak. And, you know, years later, we're finding out that... Yeah. You have a lot of acquaintances and a lot of close friends in our religion, in our church, which, uh, you know, we don't get a ton into our religion on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows, everybody mm -hmm. who listens to the show knows who we are, what we do, what we stand for. Um, you know, we're not perfect by any means. Nobody right. is. And, right. and, and no, no member of our church claims to be, but mm. it just, there was a, there was an immediate connection there. Thank you. And so, well, as I've told you, brother, the vast majority of the most important people in my life since I was a little boy have been members of your church. Yeah. And, and that's everyone from my mentors to my business partners to my best friends to my best friends to this day. Yeah. Like 99% of them. And everyone goes, well, then why aren't you? And I'm like, well, I married a pastor's daughter, so that made it somewhat <laughs> difficult. But to say that they haven't had an influence on the way that I live my life would be, you know, completely incorrect. It's had a huge influence on me. Well, I think, I mean, basically you're an honorary member of the Thank church. You. I'll give you, I'll get you a badge, <laughs> man, because you, you, you make a bigger impact on people's lives than... 99.9% .9 members of, the, of our church. A lot of us go out for two years and proselyte. I lived in Bolivia and Brazil, mm. lived in the rainforest, knocking on mud huts, you know, trying to baptize people. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things I'm surprised, you know, we didn't know we were going to go down this road, but one of the th reasons I believe human beings can change because I believe this so deeply. There's two big reasons. One, as I write about in the book, was my dad did. My dad was an alcoholic. Yeah. I lived a really not great life the first 15 years of my life and then just lived magnificently the last 35. And the other one is watching young men go away on their missions yeah. all my life, watching these guys leave as boys and come back as different men. Did when you have friends turned. that were your age that left? All, all of them. You saw them? Oh, yeah, all of them. And so I knew the goofball that left, yeah. and then I knew the incredible man that came back. Talk about and, discipline, right? Oh, the, the discipline, the maturity maturity, the, their, um, frankly, their communication ability. Obviously, yeah. a lot of them learn different languages. Yep. Their willingness to do really uncomfortable things, which right. is to learn to get out there and knock doors and see people. And then just the gift of giving their faith to people, how their lives changed. And this is how I try to live my life. Their lives changed from kind of being self-centered young teenagers to someone who was in the service of other human beings. Yeah. It altered them completely. You know, I, it's a... Uh, <clears throat> I actually feel kind of relieved right now. My mission was only two years and it was hard, you mm. know, through, through the streets and the jungles of Bolivia. 
but it was a two-year mission. I feel like you've been on about a 35-year mission mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. You're spreading a lot of love. Thank you're you. spreading a lot of common sense, which is not so common these days. Yeah. And that's why we're here, because obviously you've got a book coming out. Yeah. Right here, ladies and gentlemen. Ed Milet has... Is this your full, your first full-length book? Yeah, I would say the first book was a book lit. It was 100 pages. This one's everything I know. That's why it's not that long. But it's 250 pages of 250 stuff I know. 250 pages. Yeah. Max Out was your first mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. which I bought before I really even knew you. Yeah, I know you did. And I just gobbled it up. I probably read it three times. Yeah. Because for me, Max Out was like, it was almost like an owner's manual for, for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Like this is such simple stuff. And if I just start to apply these little things, Mm -hmm. then this is going to be amazing. I know a lot of your listeners, a lot of our listeners have, Mm -hmm. have uh, read max out. And I think we've all been waiting for this day to come, Mm -hmm. but it really surprised me when you told me that you were writing a book. When we talked last fall Mm -hmm. and you said, I got a book, I'm working on it. And I thought, wait a damn minute. Mm -hmm. Ed Milet, the guy who is all over the place. Mm -hmm. We see you in your plane. We see you golfing. We see you speaking. We see you. You are very busy man mm-hmm. and I don't want to call you busy because busy is not the right word for it. busy I think is somebody who's running in circles mm-hmm. you're a very uh, you're very good with your time you're Thank very you. efficient with your time Thanks. and you're very productive mm-hmm. so you're a very productive type of busy yeah so as I start thinking about this and you tell me you're writing a book I wrote a book once me and Diesel Dave wrote a book once I know. and we did it through ghostwriters mm-hmm. and even three mm-hmm. days of sitting down with a ghostwriter was enough for me to be like this is hard I, don't, I can't write a book yeah so this book right here contains a lot of very powerful information. Thank you. I've been, you know, you, you gave me an opportunity to take a look at it beforehand, mm. and I did. Mm. And, dude, I mean, it's a heavy book. It's a heavy book, yeah. but it's not heavy in the sense mm. that it's hard to understand. Mm. It's heavy because this book is heavy in the sense that you say things like, "Winning is more fun than fun is fun." Yeah. yeah. So when I first heard you say that, mm. and I read it, it took me some time to process mm. because it seems like a simple statement, right? Mm. Like it seems very like, uh, you know, yeah, winning's great. Yeah. But what does winning really mean? And mm. what is fun? Mm. And I think in your book, you start to dive into you, you've watched certain friends and associates go this way in the pursuit of fun mm. and happiness and success. Yeah. And it didn't work out quite how they thought it would. Well, and so have you. So I say winning is more fun than fun is fun. What is winning? Winning is just, reaching your potential at whatever it is that you're doing, right? And I've had all kinds of friends in my life just go for short-term stuff, you know? They wanna go to the club, they wanna go have fun, they wanna chill out. And to me, that might sound good for like 15 or 20 minutes, but to me, winning, reaching my potential. By the way, winning at having fun, like maxing out my laughter like we were doing before we started here today. Like every area of my life, I do, the reason I wrote the book is really simple. My dad died. And when it happened, I learned all these lessons from my dad. I know a lot about how the brain works. I know a lot about the spiritual stuff, the physical stuff. And it occurred to me, man, like, I'm next. Yeah. I don't know when my life ends, but I know I'm the next Milet man to go. Yeah. And so I wanted to write a book for my kids and my great-grandkids that this is what I know about being happy and successful. And one of the things I know is that chasing short-term fleeting fun in every area, even our scriptures all tell us this, the cheap stuff of life, the cheap things that are easy to get are hollow. Yeah. And the hard things, the, I have a chapter in the book called One More Inconvenience. Doing inconvenient, difficult things that build character yeah. is where real fun is. Absolutely. And, and to me, it fires me up to know that because we're in a culture now that doesn't celebrate that anymore. We're in a culture that celebrates cheap, short-term fun, whatever you want to call it. Well, I think fun and fulfillment 
we're are synonymous here. This is the type of fun that we're talking about. Yeah. Feel, feeling fulfilled is fun. Yeah. Going out and partying on the weekend, that may be fun for a minute. Right. And you might have a great weekend mm-hmm. and then whatever else happens mm-hmm. after that. But fulfillment, influence for good, and accomplishing things that other people haven't accomplished before. Yeah. That's real fun. It is real fun. And the other thing is this. You learn something about yourself. This may sound really serious for this, but Napoleon Hill says in Think and Grow Rich, by the way, I love Think and Grow Rich. Other than scriptures, it's my favorite book. But the truth is, you don't just think and get rich. Right. There's stuff you got to do. So I wanted to write a book about what do you think and what do you do congruently that produce a result. But one thing I love that he says is he says, if you can survive the temporary, the temporary pain, the temporary issue you're going through, that on the other side of that pain, you get introduced to your other self. Oh, yeah. And that other self produces another life, which is more fun. Yeah. And so for me, it's no matter who's listening to this right now or watching it, listen, you might be going through something temporary right now, okay? It's painful. It's difficult. You're having a setback. You're, you're not on your A game right now. Everything in life is temporary. Being other than our souls, being with my dad, I was literally holding my father's hand when he took his last breath. And it occurred to me even in those moments, like, wow, even our bodies are temporary. Nothing you're going through is permanent, yet yeah. most people start making permanent decisions in temporary conditions yep. in their lives because they don't have the tools, the thoughts, and the actions to take. And I'm like, I need to write a book. You know, humans need to know these things. So that was my next question. <clears throat> the last two years have been rough mm-hmm. for everybody, for the whole world. Yeah. You lost your dad. Yeah. You've had COVID like 45 times. Correct. <laughs> it's been, it's just <laughs> been one thing after another. Mm-hmm. How in the world... Mm-hmm. In this period of time, did you, A, find the motivation, and B, find the time to put together an actual book? Yeah, the time part was not easy, like you said, but it's stuff that I know, and it's tools and resources. So listen, for a long time, I've been fortunate enough to work with and coach some of the top people on the planet in sports and business or entertainment, politics, and I'm like, I'm just helping successful people become more successful, which is cool. But what if I could take a lot of these tools and teach them to people like me? Yeah. That I grew up with no self-confidence. I grew up with no self-esteem. I grew up in a dysfunctional house. I grew up leaving every day thinking I sucked and I had no value or worth. I had to learn this stuff in the beginning, brother, just to become a baseline functioning person. But then when I got really good at it, I'm like, wow, I could actually become superhuman to some extent here if I took these things to the next level. So I write a lot in the book about things that I think really matter. And one of the things that I talk about in the book, like this last two years is, it's not the events of our lives that define us. It's the meaning we take from the event. Yeah. And that meaning gives you an emotion and that emotion causes you to act a certain way. So you gotta start when things happen, you have to start saying to yourself, what would I need to believe about this so that it would serve me? Right. So even like my dad dying, yeah. what a tragedy. He had cancer, he suffered for eight or nine years. And I could live the rest of my life telling that story. Yeah. But what would I need to believe about it so that it serves my family? Well, what I need to believe is that my dad's passing caused me to write this book that's going to help millions of people. Do you think that's what triggered it? I, 100%. Because I know, it I know the foreword says, dedicated to Edward Joseph Milet yeah. Jr. That's, I, that's well, your old man. 100%. But other things happen from it, bro. I'm more sensitive about my own health. Yeah. I've taken my own faith more seriously. Yeah. When people that I love call me, maybe back in the day, man, I'd be like, I'll send them the voicemail. I'll do this meeting. Now I'm like, hey, hang on a minute. It's my little girl. She's more important. Yeah. So it just moved things in my life. I've actually noticed that in our, even in our communications, Mm -hmm. you and I have been texting for three, four, five years, Mm -hmm. however long it's been. And I did notice a shift Mm -hmm. your messages. And I mean, they're not texts anymore. It's a video message of you saying, Hey brother, I love you. This is that, this is like, this is how I feel. I can tell that, that there's been a shift for you Mm -hmm. and 
you know, it's kind of cool for me to watch because you're a mentor to me. You, you are somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. And to see somebody who I look up to as a mentor hit that next level. Yeah. It's like you're just getting started. Ed Milet is just getting started, which is crazy to think because you look at your career over the last, how long do you think you've been public? Probably, well, I've been speaking for 30 years, but I made like a conscious decision probably about 10 years ago to be public. What is really rare about my social media following, someone just said this to me today, I've never run an ad. Like I got millions of followers. I've never spent $7 on any type of advertising ever. Facebook ad, YouTube ad, Instagram ad. So my stuff has sort of grown just because I think there's some value to whatever the content is. No, it's because you're a freaking magnet, dude. Mm. You are a magnet for people who want to be able to understand in a very simple way how to get better, which is why I think you were genius. And maybe you didn't do this intentionally, Mm. but your first book was a very simple, easy read Mm. because that was an introduction to... Oh, this guy's got something. This guy yeah. knows something. He understands things in a way that, uh, he, like I said before, I think all, all the information that you deliver to most people mm-hmm. is stuff that is deep down inside of us that we might already know. Yeah. But we need to hear it in yeah. a different way. Yeah, and I try to make it, here's what I try to do. I try to take pretty complicated stuff and make it simple so that you can remember it. That's, you know, like there's a part, the second chapter of the book is, I call it The Matrix. And I use the movie The Matrix as the analogy because there's this thing in your brain that's like it's it's you're great at it naturally, but not everybody is. Right. And there's a part of your brain, it's called the reticular activating system. This is as sophisticated as I'll get. It's in the prefrontal cortex of your brain. All right, Dr. Joseph Spencer, we take it now easy. Now we're done. <laughs> but what it is, is is the filter that reveals to you what your world is. Yeah. It's your matrix. And here's how it works. Like I just bought a I just bought a Tesla. I like what Musk is doing. I'm like, give me a Tesla. So I get this Tesla. Dude, everywhere I drive, I see Teslas. Yeah. Everywhere. Three lanes over, other side of the freeway, freaking Tesla. 100%. They're everywhere. They were always there. Yep. Why do I see them now? Because they become important to me. Yeah. And so the key thing in life is can your ambitions, your goals, your visions for your life become the Teslas? Yeah. And how exactly do you do that? Right. Which is really repeated visualization. It's not complicated. It's easy to do. You already do repeated visualization. You're just constantly visualizing what you're worried about. You're visualizing what you fear. You're visualizing your problems, your worries. You already are a master of thinking about stuff over and over and over again. The question is, what is it you're thinking about? If you're thinking about what you lack, what you don't have, what your problems are, COVID, all these other things, then the filter reveals them to you. If you're thinking about, if you can force yourself to think about the things you want, that you dream of, how you want to feel, stuff you want to do, cool things you want to have happen. You and I are talking about lifestyles like the jet or the helicopter, the islands we've owned, these other things. Like You don't get those like, without thinking about them repeatedly. And then when you think about something, a thought, a new thought, here's a cool thing, just for everyone to think about. A new thought does something amazing. It creates a space in your life that didn't exist before you had the thought. It's a whole new space. And what happens to your brain and your spirit and your being, once you have a thought, you create that space, it goes to work on furnishing it like a house with the people, places, and the things you want. And you start seeing and hearing stuff that was always around you. Like, wow, what a a crazy coincidence. This dude called me out of the blue. I can't believe, I'm thinking about buying an island and I just heard a conversation about it. Or I'm in the mortgage business. I overhear these people at the restaurant talking about their loan. It was always there. But now it's your Teslas. So the key thing is how do we change your matrix. Yeah. And the other thing I love about it is in the matrix, I get fired up about this. Neo, the character is the one. That's what they literally call him. He's the one. And in my family, I'm the one. I, my wife and I used to literally walk on this beach when we were kids and I go, babe, 
I'm gonna get us a beach house someday. We're gonna live on the beach, man. <laughs> and she's like, we are, I go, no question about it. And then I go, how am I gonna do that? Who are these people? Who lives, at the, who are these freaks that live on the ocean? Like, how come there's all this land and these very few people live right at the end of it? Yeah. How does this happen? Who are they? And here's what I figured out. When you find a happy or successful family, a rich family, at some point back in their lineage, they weren't. Nope. And then the one shows up in that family. The one. And that one person changes that flipping family forever. How they live, how they think, how they pray, how they exist, how they contribute. The one. And the irony is, in my family, I'm the one. And when I was a little boy, you would have never thought it would be me. There was nothing about me at all that I had done that was remarkable as a young man that would make you think, now this cat... He's going to be the one. And for most of you who think you're not the one, the very fact that you think that about yourself means you probably are or probably could be. If you could just learn some of these very simple things, you could change your family tree for generations right now. And you did that using the power of one more. I did. When did you learn the power of one more? At what point do you think you understood the concept behind this book? Uh, I would say probably right in my mid-20s. Let me tell you why. I had no self-confidence. And then I started saying something that I still believe is true, that self-confidence is the process of keeping the promises you make to yourself. And if you repeatedly, if you don't have self-confidence, here's why you don't. It's not someone else's fault. You don't keep the promises you make to you. You have a reputation with yourself where you don't trust you. So I'm like, I got to change this because I was that guy. So I'm going to get up at 6 a.m., roll out of the rack at 8.30. Say I'm going to eat healthy, eat a bag of Cheetos. This Mm -hmm. is true, by the way. Say I'm going to get straight A's, C's and B's. And then I went, nah, I'm going to start keeping these promises because here's the deal. I don't have any self-esteem. I have to control something internally. And then I started keeping the promises I made to myself. Bam, I had self-confidence. And then I went, well, in life you don't get your goals. You actually get your standards. Yeah. I have a whole chapter on standards. What would my standard need to be so that I was superhuman? Right. One more. I'll keep the promise I make to myself plus one more. I'm going to do 30 minutes on the treadmill. No, I'm doing 30 minutes plus one more. Yeah. I'm going to do 10 reps. No, 10 plus one more. I'm going to make 10 contacts in a day. No, I'm not. I'm making 10 plus one more. Right. Tell my little girl I love her every single day. Nope. I tell her I love her one more time a day. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you start stacking up these one mores. Number one, you've done more, yep. so you're just better. But number two, you start to build this reputation with yourself that you do one more than everybody else does. But that's really uncomfortable at first. Super uncomfortable. Once you start pushing yourself to one more, it's really easy to say, okay, I did one more. That was good for the week. That was good for the month. Whatever it was. It's the consistency in sticking with that repetition of I'm going to push myself one step further. So I got to ask you, in writing a book, because writing a book is not an easy process. There's people all, it's so funny. I talk to people people all the time. How many people do you talk to who are like, oh, I'd like to write a book someday? There's there's, there's people out there that want to do it. And I tell them, no, you don't. Right? (laughs) Not if you're me, you don't. So what things did you implement and change in your daily routine or self-discipline? Because I know that this was not easy for you to do. It wasn't easy for you to do. I'm going to give you something so weird. When I was a young dude, I met Wayne Dyer, who's like this guru of the personal development yeah. movement, right? Just a really beautiful man. God's been so good to me. I've talked about other people with you off camera that God just brought into my life as a young man. It's like, I don't know why he did, but he did. And Wayne Dyer told me that, hey, man, you ever wake up in the middle of the night with an idea? And I go, all the time. He goes, what do you do? I go, I kind of go back to sleep. He goes, I want you to start writing them all down. He goes, that's the divine awakening you with wisdom. Write down the thoughts. I started doing that. 
They started to become chapters of the book. And then he told me, when you write, Ed, this may sound crazy, but books have energy. So if you're going to write, I want you to start to surround yourself with the best books you've ever read and actually sit around them when you write. And the ideas will flow to you. <laughs> That's whack, right? About every speech I've ever given, which is like 64 million of them, I've done sitting around great books. And I actually feel the energy from the books. I know that sounds crazy, but it puts me in a state of resiliency. It puts me in a state of creativity. So what I did is I actually walk in that office every day for one hour, have a circle of books around me, sit in the middle of the circle and write. And I would put it into it because I'm verbal. I would do it into an audio recorder. Smart. And then I would rehearse it back and forth again. And they would just come to me, brother. I would get in a really good flow state of a chapter in the book on how to develop habits. And it's very detailed. And so I know how you create a new habit. I go through every single step of it in the book. And I created a new habit of writing on the book every single day for an hour, five days a week. And I wrote this book basically in about six months. It's the, it's the after you write stuff that kills you. Like you said, like, that doesn't sound good. That right. sucks. I don't and, like that. And that was my next question. Did you have any writer's block moments? I had a lot of writers. Um, uh, I have what I still have. I'll be honest with doubt, you. Doubt, writer's doubt, writer's, writer's doubt. Yeah, and I have writer's doubt. And even now that the book's out, I mean, everyone always says this is the best book of all time. I feel like it is, but could I have written a better one in my own mind? I'm like, yeah, I could have said that better. I could have illustrated this point. Yeah, but you're at my let, and so if you feel that way, you're going to do it at some point. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if that feeling comes to you strong enough and compels you, mm. you're the type of guy who's not going to sit around and just let that nag at you. I did everything I could. Here's what I can't say in that book. I've given it everything I know at this stage of my life. I'm 51, and I can honestly say at 51, what's in that book is what I know about how to become happier and more successful. I think in five more years, which it'll at least be that long, if I've lived a new experience and I have new breakthroughs in my thinking, then I'll write another one. And you're just getting started, like I told you. You are literally, in my eyes, you've had a tremendously successful career. Same Mm -hmm. with you. You're very proud of your career. Everybody Mm -hmm. should be. Mm -hmm. But... I feel like there's this next chapter that's coming of Ed Milet that's Thanks, this older, wiser, yeah. this guy who, who you've been through, I mean, l- losing a family member, especially somebody who's really important to me, my very important person. to you. I mean, yeah. your father, yeah. your father shaped your yeah, life. He did. And, yeah. and he did it in a way that was really hard in the beginning mm. as an alcoholic. Yeah. You grew up in a, with an alcoholic father. My partners and some of my friends grew up with alcoholic fathers yeah. and that's not an easy life. Can I tell you the good part? Taking the meeting, not to interrupt you, but and by the way, I want to say one thing to you. My wife knew you were coming today, and I've talked about you many times, yeah. which I wanted to tell her more about you. She's like, tell me more about him. I swear to you on our friendship, because you just said it. I said, here's how he's done so far. I said, I have this sense about this dude that there's like massive leap about to happen for him in his life. I have this sense about him. And she goes, I'm going to even tell you why, if you don't mind. I said, uh, there's a kindness and a goodness in this dude that I have not felt from other people that I've been around. And I said, actually, we've only been around like each other virtually. Right. And I said, he's like a massive winner and he wants to really serve and he's uniquely talented. He's got all these creative skills. He's good on camera, he's good in person, he's good behind the camera. He's got all this depth of character because of his faith. You're making me blush, thank you. No, but I'm serious. I talked about this at breakfast with my wife this morning. And I said, I have the feeling about this guy. I'm serious, by the way. I said, I have a feeling about this guy. There's some massive calling for him. And it's not what he's doing currently. It's bigger. You want to know the best part? Yeah. I feel the exact same thing. Good. I, and it's not arrogance. It's yeah. not cockiness. It's not... No. I, I tell my friends all the time some, some of these ambitions that 
I don't necessarily have, but I feel like I'm called to. Yes. I was given, I'm not a talented guy, man. I'm not good at sports. I'm not, I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't mm. do many things, mm. but there's a few things that I can do really well. Mm. And I've learned how to take those strengths and take them to the masses, yeah. starting with my friends mm. and my, you know, my close mm. circle and start to bring those people with me along for this ride. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot smarter people out there than me. There's a lot me more too. talented people out there than me. But there's very few people out there that have just the bullheaded stubbornness and the, and the, uh, it's will. We, we, yeah, it's will and it's, it's, it's this, it's this, I shouldn't believe in myself as much as mm -hmm. I do, but I do and I can't stop it. Yeah, by the way, you just explained success. What, everyone should just go back and rewind that. What you've done is you've taken the, the unique gifts you have that are unique to you, plus your experience, backed by this really deep belief in yourself and this overarching faith that yeah. something great's supposed to happen. And you just literally explained how to become successful. Yeah. And here's what's really weird for me. That's what I've done. And I don't have a lot of great talents. I'm not high IQ. In fact, we just did an IQ test. I'm fourth out of four in my house. True. I'm the fourth. Four out of four. Four to four, man. But I am fourth. So I got to tell you, though, I do have like two really good skills and I've made hundreds of millions of dollars with them. And here's what's ironic. It's because my dad was an alcoholic and I want everybody to get this. Most of the great things in your life are going to come through some type of adversity trial. Here's what mine was. My dad, I had to figure out when that dude would come through the front door. I had three sisters and a mom. Which dad was it? And I'd have to I'm a five year old little boy and I'd see my daddy walk through the door and I would have to be present and read him, really read him. As a five-year-old. Five-year-old, is he drunk? Is his shirt buttoned the right way? Is his hair messed up? How's he walking? How's he talking? What's his physiology like? And if it was sober dad, we're gonna have dinner, go play catch in the backyard. If it's drunk dad, I gotta get my sisters upstairs. Yeah. I gotta have my mom go take a shower. And then the second thing kicks in. I gotta grab his hand and I gotta talk to him. And I have to change how he feels by Jeez. speaking. Okay, bro, my only two big skills in life is I'm really good at reading people and yeah. being present and caring about them. I'm really good at you it. You are. And I'm good at communicating and changing how they feel. And I got both of those because my dad was an alcoholic. If my dad's not an alcoholic, I don't build those two skills as a young boy that I've used for 50 years now. Those are your two main building blocks. They're my two big ones. And they come from that tragic thing yeah. in my life. And then my ability, to, my belief humans can change. My dad. My dad got sober and lived the best life of any man I've known right. the last 35 years of his life. So that's why I do what I do. Is so your crazy? dad is a huge inspiration to you. Yeah. You lost him. Mm -hmm. Rather than turning that into a downward spiral, <clears throat> right. you turn that into something that's about to change the world. Thanks, man. Which is wild because Thanks. not a lot of people have the self-discipline to do that, which mm -hmm. is what you talk about in the book is... This was one more thing that you had to do. Yeah, right. And it probably wasn't convenient and it yeah. probably wasn't easy. And there's probably times where it wasn't fun. Yes. The publishing process is, is horrible. Numbing. It's, it's horrible. just it's brutal. Yep. Have you ever read anything like this book? No, every book I read, I don't mean this critically either. Most books in personal development are some derivative of think and grow rich with like slightly different phraseology, like every single one. I don't want to do that. And I, by the way, I love thinking Grow Rich. I wanted one on what do I think, what do I do? What do I think, what do I do? And you put those things together. And then I'll just share with you. Here's why I wrote it, bottom line. If you want to know the power of one more, it's when I take it from you. 
I take the ability to have one more from you and now you realize how precious it is. So my dad, my favorite thing to do, bro, my dad did not care about money at all. In fact, my dad lives in Chino, lived in Chino. My mom still lives in that house. My dad lived walking distance from my jet and I've had five of them. He's never set foot on one of them. And I would say, dad, let's fly to Hawaii, go play Hawaii. My dad'd be like, why would I go all the way to Hawaii to play golf with my boy? We could just do it in Chino. I don't care about that. I care about my son. Never, ever cared about the money I made, anything like that. What kind of a man am I? What kind of a husband am I? What kind of a friend are you? These are the conversations I would have. My father could care less about any financial success at all. Wow. Never emphasized it. But when he, my favorite thing to do was golf with my dad. Yeah. We're both not that good. It was, <laughs> it was five hours of being a foot from my best friend. Yeah. My dad. Bro. Do you know what I would give right now for one more round of golf with oh, my dad? I lost my dad, so yes, I do. You know. I know. And so if you, imagine everyone, if you had only one more conversation with your daughter or your sweetheart. Yeah. What if you only had, what if you treated every podcast like, what if this was my last one? What if this book's my last book? What if this meeting I'm going to have is my last, me meeting Diesel Dave, what if it's the last time I meet this man today? After all these years of loving him from a distance, I don't want that to be just some thing, man. What if it was my last time being with this man, this awesome man, right? And so when you begin to look at the power of one more, it's when I take it from you. And when you begin to have an appreciation for the depth of how blessed we are, we all do have one more day. We all do have one more shot. Your past is not your future. It's not over for you. No matter how bleak it seems, no matter how down you are, you got one more shot. You can give it one more try. These are all chapters in the book. And so for me, the, when I lost my dad, the power of getting one more is why I wrote it. I'm like, I have to do this. And that's why I did it. You know what I love about you, Ed? And this is the same mentality that I have. It's an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. In losing your dad, that wasn't a deficit to you. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was sure. a major loss, but it wasn't a scarcity mindset. Yeah. You didn't say I lost my dad, so now I lost a huge piece of me. You said mm -hmm. I lost my dad, but my universe is, the resources are infinite. This book is basically telling the world that your resources are infinite. Like you said, when you have that thought, you create that space. When you create that space, you fill that space with things you love, you want, you yes. know, things that you're chasing after. Yeah. And guess what? That is unlimited. Yes. You can you can fill that world with whatever you want yeah. as long as you have the discipline and you follow through mm -hmm. and you do the simple, easy things that yeah. we all sometimes struggle to do. Why does everybody want success to be complicated? Here's why they want it to be. Because they, then they have an excuse for not doing it. Right. If success is simple and it's easy to do stuff, now you've got no excuse. Yep. So I got the book. And, and I got to tell you, the other little secret thing I did, I'm doing all that and I get to honor my dad. Yeah. I'm talking about my dad right now. Absolutely. I'm, I'm talking about him in the book. So I got this bizarre thing where I serve everybody. Same time I get to serve me, which is to get to talk about my dad. And I get to honor him, which he'd be embarrassed that we were doing this. But I'm honored that I get to do it. Who do you hope reads this book? I wrote it. It's really interesting. I wrote it for moms, dads, people of faith. I wrote it for athletes. I wrote it for entrepreneurs, for business people. I hope that anyone right now listening to this goes, I would like to be happier or more successful or both would read this book. And I can promise you, not every chapter will you love, by the way. Not every chapter. But there will be chapters in the book that will change your life. Some will resonate with you more than others. But there will be something in that book that changes your life. Let me tell my viewers one thing right now, guys. Do me this favor. You guys know this is called the Heavy Checklist Podcast. This is checklist item number one. Go to any podcast platform and find Ed's podcast titled Blissful Dissatisfaction. Thanks, man. Blissful Dissatisfaction is something that 
when I first heard, I was like, holy shit, every human on earth needs to hear this. <laughs> so I thought, but maybe that's just me being excited about it. Mm. So I sent it off to my wife. Mm. My wife is not a personal development guru. Yeah. She's, she's a beautiful mom, beautiful mm-hmm. woman, but she's not the type of person who listens to podcasts all day, every right, day. Right. She listened to it and she came to me and she's like, Dave, oh. that is absolutely like, mm. my mind is blown. I was like, mm. okay, okay, so my, my wife loved it. Let's try it with my family. Let's try it with my sisters, my mom. Mm. Sent it to everybody that I knew. Mm. And everybody listened to it and it's truth. Thanks, it's man. absolute truth. And so that means the world to me. No, man, it is because you just have you have the ability to articulate the things that we all complicate <laughs> and break them down so that they're not so hard to understand. That means and that's what me. this book is going to do for so many people. So hmm. I'm going to tell you all right now whether you're a mom, whether you're a grandma, whether you're on your deathbed, whether you're 13 years old. Hmm. This book is for you. This is not for any specific demographic. This yeah. is for the human race. Thank you, bro. It is. Thank is you. it not? I believe it is as well, but it's easier for you to say than for me. So well, thank bro, you. So I, I, I'll sit here and tell it all day long because you, what you're talking about in this book teaches everything from self-discipline. Mm-hmm. It teaches everything from getting out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Let's talk about the thermostat. Yeah, okay. The thermostat yeah. is, I'm so, dude, did, yeah. did you hear that somewhere? Did you make that up? I made it up. Bro, <laughs> the thermostat. Okay. I mean, the ther- there, there's nothing easier to understand than a thermostat. Well, here's how it is. Your identity is, uh, it governs your whole life. It's your thoughts, concepts, and beliefs that you believe to be the most true about you, like your worth. That's what the thermostat setting. So it operates like a thermostat setting. So, And it's hot in here right now, isn't it? So uh, there's a thermostat setting. I'm going to guess in this room right now it's about 80 degrees. But outside, it's hotter than that. So the outside conditions don't dictate the temperature in here. The thermostat does. So it's set at 80 degrees. Well, so is your life. It's not external stuff. It's the internal thermostat setting, which is your identity. And what happens to most people, let's say you're an 80 degree of money or happiness or faith, bliss, whatever. When you begin to heat the conditions of your life up and they exceed your identity, your thermostat setting, you unconsciously turn the air conditioner of your life down and you cool it back to what you believe you're worth. And you do it over and over again. And it seems coincidental. Like if it's money, you start making more money than you really internally believe you're worth, you cool it back down. And when you're like, ah, oh, it was coincidental. I had to make a loan to a friend. But you don't do it intentionally. You never do it intentionally. It's unconscious because the most powerful force in the world is this thermostat setting. It is. And so what happens is you cool life back down again to what you believe you're worth. That's why you see people, man, I I lost 20 pounds. I'm in great shape. You see them a year later. They gained it back. They turned the AC back on to what they believe they're worth. Hey, man, I'm making a bunch of money now. You see them two years later, like, what happened? Ah, man, COVID. Ah, the economy. Ah, interest rates. No, you cooled it back down. Hey, I'm in love. I got the greatest girl ever. You see them in a year, what happened? Ah, man, didn't work out. They cool the AC back down. So the key thing is to learn to adjust your thermostat setting as you increase the external results and the relationships in your life. And if you don't, you're going to get a pattern of your life of the same emotions, the same level of thermostat setting over and over again. And in the book, I go through like a trilogy of those settings. Faith is one of the ways that you should have a higher thermostat setting. If you're really the child of a loving God then why in the world shouldn't you be blessed with a higher thermostat setting? The second one is your intentions. You don't give yourself enough credit for your good intent, for the difference you want to make. If you're an entrepreneur for wanting to serve people, if you're an athlete for wanting to make your family proud of you, 
have credit for your intentions. And then the third thing is associations, who you're around. If you are an 80 degreeer and you hang around 150 degreeers, they heat you up to their thermostat setting over time. And the closer you are to them, the higher they heat you up. So you do those three things, you change the thermostat setting. How many chapters in the book, Ed? 19. So if I'm sitting here at 80 Mm -hmm. degrees, yes. My viewers are sitting there at 80 degrees. Yeah. By the time we're done with this book, we have no excuse to not be at 99 degrees. And here's why. You'll be associating with me the whole time you read the book. Don't read this book like, ah, I'm reading the words this guy wrote. Pretend I'm talking to you. And that's one of my favorite parts about, I, I don't know if it's the first chapter mm-hmm. or the foreword, mm-hmm. but you say, I'm going to read it word for word. Mm-hmm. You were not born to be average or ordinary. You were born to do something great with your life. I know this about you. Yeah. Those are Ed's exact words. Yep. Ed. How the hell do you know that about me? How the hell do you know that about the people reading this book? Because I have faith, and my faith informs me that we're all brothers and sisters of the same loving God. And so whatever DNA I have running through me, you can have running through you. And if one man can do something, another man can do it. And you're born with your own unique skills and, and giftedness, just like you described earlier, that are yours. Combined with your life experience makes you one of a kind. There's one thing I want you to think about, bro. This is going to blow your mind. It just occurred to me after I wrote the book. My dad got sober, and that one decision changed my family forever. If my dad doesn't get sober, I'm probably not talking to you. And then it occurred to me after I wrote the book. I want everyone to hear this. This is super important. I woke up the other night, and I woke my wife up. I woke Christine. I go, babe, someone helped my dad. She goes, what, honey? I said, someone helped my dad. I never thought about it before. Someone helped my dad get sober. She goes, oh my God. I said, I don't have no idea who they were. It's like an anonymous program. And I said, babe, do you know what qualified them to help my dad? She goes, no. I go, they were a drunk. Yeah. They were a mess. They were an alcoholic. Their mess qualified them to help my dad. This average everyday human being whose life was a shambles at one point helped my dad change his entire life. Which helped me, which changed his You know what we call life. that? Compounding interest. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Because it's you are now the fruits of it. those single small actions, those single one more steps you got that it. people took. Yes. One drunk helped another drunk. You got that it. drunk cleaned up his life. Yep. He inspired you, and yep. now you inspire millions. And that's exactly right. And what I want everyone to know that, bro, is like your mess doesn't disqualify you from helping other people or making your dreams come true. In fact, it's what qualifies you to make something great with your life. This thing you think that you fear about you or you're embarrassed by or not confident about or ashamed of, that may be the very thing that helps you change other people's lives. It may be one of your great gifts. And it sure was for my family. So I just had to tell you that because it's not in the book and it just occurred to me like a week ago. That's wild. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a wild middle of the night thought. It is, man. Because that's a heavy one. It's a heavy that's one. It's a big man. one. It's a real one. I know we're going heavy today. Whatever. It's Wait, cool. Ed, that's what we're here for, man. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> I got to tell you, Ed, it's mm. an honor to be able to turn the tables on you because you are one of the world's best interviewers. You're good too. You, you, you could be... You could be on any broadcast network in the world and you could just, you could kick Larry King's ass. You could, you could just absolutely dominate because you have a way of reading people's body language. Mm-hmm. You don't step on people's words. You're able to feel what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The empathy that you, I feel your empathy right now. It's like yeah. your heart is like, like shining at me. Thank and you. even when I'm texting you. Yeah. And so you have that ability 
And it's just incredible that you've been able to turn it into words that are easy to digest. <laughs> Thank you. That anybody, I'm, I'm serious, this book is heavy, mm-hmm. but I feel like my 10-year-old daughter could probably start to chew through this. I hope so. I think so. And I'm going to teach her these things because my yeah. 10-year-old daughter is a miniature version of me. Oh, yeah. And she, if, if you think I'm doing great things, yeah. just wait till you see what Charlie does. And I you feel it. the same way about uh, Max and Bella, right, is, is your I daughter. Do. Yeah. So there's another thing, and I think you actually, is there a chapter on the on the 24-hour day? Yeah. Was that in Max Out as well? A little touch on little there, touch really on. detail. It's one of my favorite things that you've ever talked about because Thanks. I want to dive into that mm-hmm. a little bit because it, it changed the way that I view life. Me too. Because how do we view life right now? 24-7, right? Yep. We've got 24 hours in a day, seven yeah. days in a week, Which and usually the work days, what? Yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you're working an average job, eight, nine hours a day, yeah. guys that are you know entrepreneurs are usually working 14, 15 hours mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you have learned how to turn one day into three days. That's right. Yep. How did you do that? By the way, I'm just so proud of you. I'm just watching you, man. You're just so good. You just, you're going to change the world, dude. Thank I, you, Ed. I, I told my wife that this morning. So um, having said that, I'll help you a little bit here. So uh, the idea that there's 24 hours in a day is stupid. And it's antiquated and yeah. dated. So a 24-hour day was created uh, when there was no electricity. When there was no internet, when there was no nothing. Yet yeah, most people still measure time the same way people did 250 years ago. How insane is that? That's wild, right? And so most human beings are walking around oblivious to the fact that, like, uh, we can compress time frames now. Information is faster. There's actually cars and, like, electricity and lights. And you don't have to send stuff by horse. And there's this thing called email now. And You know what's Google. so funny? I'm sorry to cut yeah. you off. We were sitting downtown. We love tacos. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, me too. I'm a connoisseur of tacos. And so yeah. anytime we land in SoCal, I Google, you know, whoever's mm-hmm. got the best reviews. So we're sitting there eating tacos today. And I look up and I look over uh, my buddy, Jason and I say, how archaic are power lines? <laughs> power true. lines, you go downtown, yeah. anywhere in California, yep. and there's just lines and wood poles everywhere. Mm. And we're stuck in these old, old ways that yes. we're just stuck with, and yep. nobody really knows why. I mean, maybe it's expensive to bury them mm-hmm. and change them, but as mm-hmm. you as you move into these newer communities, I guarantee you some of the houses that you have don't have power lines you running to them. You bet they don't. And by the way, it's super interesting you say that because we become so used to seeing them yeah. that they become invisible. Yep. And so if you were to ask somebody in Laguna Beach who's got this incredible ocean to look at, you do realize there's power lines blocking your view. They would actually say, I don't see them anymore. We become so oblivious to the dumb things that we do in life that we just unconsciously like zombies walk through them. And one of them is the way we manage time. So my days, my first day is from 6 a.m., to noon. That's a day. You ever have a morning where you're like, I got more done this morning than I get all day or all week? That's because you compress time frames. So my first day is 6 a.m. to noon. That's a day. And in that day, I could have all fun. I could have faith. I could have family. I could have business. But it's a day. I measure the day in that window. What's important about that is around noon, this light bulb, this clock goes off in my head that goes, what did I just get done? What did I do? What do I need to be accountable for? What do I need to redouble my efforts on? What do I need to do more the second day? Second day is noon to 6 p.m. Some of those days, like Sundays, it's just straight faith and family for me. But in that day, I could do contacts, meetings, working out, you name it. But that's a day. And then the next day is from 6 p.m. to midnight. These days, now I got three days in a day. I got 21 in a week. I got 44 in a month or more. You tell me that you're going to compete against me when I get 44 days. Of, 44 days, by the way, let me do the math again for you. 21 days in a week, right? That's 84, by the way. 21 days in a week, I get, 
and you get seven, and we stack that up over a year, three years, five years, 10 years, I'm going to smash you in fun, <laughs> in happiness, in fitness, in success, in family, because I get more days than you. And there's one other thing that happens. Because you treat time more preciously, you've bended time and manipulated it, other people take you more seriously. Yeah. Other people look at you as moving faster, talking faster, more valuable. What there is less of is more valuable. What's precious is more valuable. That's why diamonds are worth more than paper. So most people treat their days like paper instead of diamonds. But if you start having six hour days, all of a sudden time becomes precious. It becomes valuable to you and everybody around you. Your entire life will change. Sorry, my math was bad. Your entire life will change when you get 21 days a week. I promise you, it'll be a completely different existence. And by the way, after like about six real months of doing this, you're going to tell me, man, you know what? About, about noon every day, this thing goes off in my head that goes, what did I get done? What do I need to do now? How much fun did I have? Did I make sure I said my prayers? Did I make enough money? And it starts calibrating time completely differently, and you'll never go back to 24 hours. Ed, I don't know if you realize what you've done, but you've taken something that has been linear for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. which is the 24-hour clock, yeah. and you made it three-dimensional. Yeah. I know. You, you really did. Now you have, these, you have these blocks and these bubbles and you have these areas where you can, you can get in, dive in, do more. And you know the movie Groundhog's Day? Yeah. That movie stresses me out so, yeah. so bad because it's, it's a reflection of what happens to humans. Middle-aged men yep. as they go to start to work or anybody you yep. get stuck in Groundhog's Day And you start doing the same thing over and over and Groundhog's Day is an exaggeration of it But yep. I think a lot of people do live Groundhog's Day because they do. they're doing the same thing over and over and over again they And they don't find a way to I love the way that you don't make it Okay, 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. I have to do this. It's yeah. no 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. is a day for me, and whatever I do in that day, like any other day, it's you're gonna you're gonna flip flop things, move them around. Yeah. If you want to go golf from 6 to 6 a.m. to 12 p.m., that's gonna be that's what you did in that day, and I do it. And that's the here's, most. Here's what's nuts. I just I had to move out of the storage unit. This is gonna date me like how old I am, but it's like an old storage unit because I bought that island. I'm like, all right, I'll take all my old stuff and dump it on this island. I had a bunch of Encyclopedia Britannica's in there. And these old encyclopedias, most of your audience won't even know what they are. Google what that is and realize that when I used to try to research something for school, I would have to go to an encyclopedia or drive down to a freaking library, find the book, open the book, write it all down by hand. Now my kids go, how to build a fort, how to do whatever, how does science work? They Google it and have it like that. And I'm going to measure time the same way now that I did back then. This is so funny you're saying. It's just ridiculous. Literally yesterday... We uh, did a video where we bought a bunch of storage units sight unseen, and we got in them, mm. opened them up, and there were, you know, when you buy storage units, you, you find know. all kinds of wild stuff. And we found a whole volume of, uh, you ever heard of what's called the Book of Knowledge? Yes. And it's like volume A, B, C, <laughs> and you go in there, and I opened one, and it's like, here's how tractors work. work. And then you go through, <laughs> you know, later in the book, and it's like, here's, here's how the tides in the ocean work. Mm. You used to have to go through page by page by page <laughs> to crazy. find this information. You're crazy. And... So if that's changed so quickly, if I can go to my phone now and figure out how tractors work right. in 30 seconds, right. why can't I do that with time and productivity and my family and my relationships? You can and everything. And the best part about this is the people who are going to benefit the most are the people who are closest to you. Mm -hmm. If you're a family man or you're a, you're a single mom, doesn't matter who you are. Mm. I believe after going through your book, that if people start to do those one more things, 
those just that that little inconvenience, yep. that extra rep, whatever it is, that and and here's the thing, Ed. I'm not a big believer. This is why you know Andy Frizzella, good yeah. friend of ours. Yeah. His program, 75 Hard, scares the living shit out of me. Okay. Because it's a lot at once. Mm-hmm. And some people need that shock to the system. Yep. I'm the type of person where I decided mm-hmm. that if I want to feel better, I'm going to start drinking a little bit more water every day. Yep. And so I started easing into it. Mm-hmm. And everybody has different personality types. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I don't want people to think is if you read this book... Don't think I have to implement all 19 chapters no, at once. No. Take the principles that you're learning and say, that's one that really resonates with me. I'm going to implement that one now. Well, you're so brilliant. So the whole premise of the book is this. The scripture says, hey, where there's no vision, the people will perish. If you dig deeper at that, it's not that people don't have any vision. Look, would you rather be fit or fat? Would you rather be happy or sad? Would you rather be rich or poor? Right? Like, would you rather have a private jet or fly commercial? This is, these are easy questions. People have a vision. Their issue is depth perception. Right. They think they're further away than they are. Yeah. And because they think they're so far away and it's so complicated, everything stays that far away all their life. They keep it there by their behaviors. But what if the truth is you're one decision away from changing your life? You're one relationship. You're, like I said earlier, you're one podcast. You're one YouTube video. You're one new book. You're one new meeting. Check this out. About three weeks ago, I'm playing golf, and a really good friend of mine goes, I want you to meet this guy. I want you to play golf with him tomorrow. Your net worths are similar, and he's a fascinating dude. And there's, you don't meet guys every single day worth hundreds of millions of bucks. Let's get together. I go, all right, I'll play with him tomorrow. So I go to the first tee, and he goes, oh, Ed lad, I'm a huge fan of yours. I can't wait to spend five hours. I got all these questions for you. I go, that ain't how it's going to work, bro. I already know about me. I want to know about you. Yeah. Tell me your story. And he goes, I can do it on the first tee. It's really simple. I go, give it to me. He goes, 1986, I loaned a dude 50 grand. So did my best friend. This is fascinating, bro. And he goes, a week later, my best friend said, got scared, said, give me the 50 grand back. I kept the loan to the guy. He goes, it turned into 750 million bucks. <laughs> I said, get the heck out of here, dude. Who'd you loan that money to? Jeff Bezos. Shit. <laughs> I went, you gotta be kidding me. That dude was one relationship, one decision, one loan away from completely changing his life. Now that's an exaggerated example. I don't have that story, but I have a series of little, as you've said, one more decision, yes. one more meeting, one more breakthrough, one new emotion, one new thought, and every single time I've changed my life. He did it in one big one. Yeah. But you're right. You're way closer to the change than you think you are, and oftentimes it's a very simple change. What I love about you is uh, people view you, and you are, a very established, successful you know, you, you've created this, this huge wealth net mm-hmm. worth. Mm-hmm. You've got properties. You've mm-hmm. got the coolest lifestyle in the world. Mm-hmm. And off camera, you're sitting here talking to me about the, I can feel the passion mm-hmm. in the one more project that you're talking about next. Yeah. And the one more thing after that, mm-hmm. you are living what you're preaching, Thank which you. is why I believe that this book is going to be so powerfully compelling to so many people because A, the knowledge is just their facts. B, they look at you and they say, He's actually living this mm-hmm. because you can tell there's a difference. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people in the personal development space that yep. that say one thing, live another way. You got it. And I'm not pointing fingers. It's mm-hmm. just it's just it's just people make a living at it mm-hmm. rather than making it something where they actually want to sincerely change the world. Yeah. I do this podcast because I want to change the world. We never monetize our podcast. I know you don't need to do it. We, we yeah. do this because I know that there's a demographic of of people listening mm-hmm. that will listen to this dumb bearded guy. Yep. 
who might not have ever heard of either Med, Ed Milet yeah. or, or any of these other guys that yeah. have great information to deliver. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what? I kind of have to. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, that burden falls on my shoulders. Because I don't know why God gave me the limelight. I don't know why God gave me this platform. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. I do know why. And it took me a while to understand it. Yeah. And once I understood it, I said, okay, game on. Yeah. I'm going to do this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it seriously. And Ed, I'll be honest with you. There was a period there where I stopped doing my podcast for a while. You want to mm-hmm. know why? Mm-hmm. Not because I got busy. Not because couldn't find guests it's because you know i went through a period in my life where i didn't feel like i was yeah doing the one more i love that about you i wasn't i wasn't i i cannot be hypocritical i have a hard time doing it dude Dude, it's hard man if if, if you like if if you're supposed to get out there and you're supposed to tell people Mm. how to live better and how to do things better but you know that in your heart some things are maybe not right in your life you know what you have brother i just i want to jump in with you on it because we're so similar for two reasons one i started doing this i told my dad my dad was a dude like not a you know, my dad was a dude. Yeah. And I told my dad, I said, I'm going to get into this space because I want to get to people that would never listen to this stuff otherwise. Right. Dudes that like aren't, don't want to have super sophisticated conceptual You had a flat stuff. brim hat on, you wear a muscle right. shirt. Yeah. Like I wanted that. And the second thing was I'm really open and vulnerable on my social when I suck. Yeah. I don't, I, I can't fake stuff. Like I'm a human. Yeah. Like I don't want to be like your role model all the time. I want to inspire you. There's, there's four types of people. There's unmotivated. I can't help you. Then there's motivated. Motivated people do stuff for their motives, which is great. I want a jet. I want a car. I want some money. I want a great family. That's a great reason to do things. The third thing is inspirational. Those people move you differently. The root of inspiration is to be in spirit. You just feel something from them. There's a feeling you get. You have that. I'd like to think I have that. But what we both want isn't even that. We want to be the fourth, which is aspirational, where people aspire to be more like us. And for me and you, the thing that people should aspire to is we're flawed men who have ups and downs in our lives. And when we're not on our A game, you're going to know it. And if it was on my A game all the time, you couldn't be me. If you had it all together, people couldn't be you. I want people to know you could be me and you could be better than me in your way yep. and I'm not perfect I am somewhat screwed up some of the time and it's those things about me that ought to give you hope because it's as true as the day is long it ain't 24 hours I can promise you that that the days that I'm not good I can't fake it yeah. and I don't like being around people who are on all the time right or they're perfect all the because time it's not real because it's not real Ed you talk about in your book a word that I'm not terribly familiar with and I want you to break it down for me and I even had to go to Google. I already know the word. Go yeah, ahead. I had to go to Google and hit the yeah. little mouth button yeah. and have her pronounce it for me. And I think she, she, she pronounced it equanimity. Yes, yes. What's equanimity? Okay, or equanimity, depending on how you say it. By the way, each is fine. So, Google lied uh, to me. But no, no, it's, it, could be, it could be both. Equanimity is really simple. Let's make this easy. Calm under duress. It means you're peaceful when it's stressful. It's the ability to find calmness when the world is losing their head. You have this. Oh, yeah. Great leaders, great fathers, great husbands have the ability to remain there cool when the pressure's the highest. When things I thrive are, in chaos. I, so do I. It's actually my number one thing in my life is that I thrive in chaos. I love natural disasters. <laughs> I know you do. I do. I, I'm I telling you, you, man, I, I absolutely thrive. That's when, that's when, because I have severe ADD. Mm. Uh, it's like, you know, it's bad. Yep. Uh, luckily, when I was a kid, you know, doctors told my mom, yeah, this guy's got ADD. Mm-hmm. They should put him on Prozac or Ritalin or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And my mom's like, no, nah, we're going to ride this out. We're going to see what mm-hmm. happens. We're going to see what he can do with this. And I'm so glad they didn't 
medicate me because it turned me into what I am, mm. an unfocused mess. But man, when I get dialed in on something and I focus in Look on your something, face right now. Look at your face right it now. It is just absolutely yeah. laser beam focused and you know, all, you guys can't see, we've got the whole career here yeah. off camera, which is by the way, this is a total sidetrack. We got a double header today, which is, I don't know many people that get this type of time with Ed Milet because he's a very busy man, but I texted Ed yesterday and I said, Ed, I want to talk to you about your book, but I also just want to get the real Ed. I want to sit around. I've got the rest of you know, Diesel Dave, we got the crew here. And we're going to have a second follow-up podcast to this where we're just broing down and we're mm -hmm. asking Ed questions. And Ed, you're going to ask us questions Good. and we're going to sit out probably by the beach and the audio is probably going to suck. But guess what? Deal with it because you're going to get yeah, the cool. real raw side of us and you're going to see the flaws. You're going to see the ups. Yeah. You're going to see the downs. And I think that type of content, and Ed, I'll tell you this, I think the one number one reason, well, one of the number one reasons that I've been able to have success is... I try, and I didn't even know I was trying for the longest time, to be relatable. Me too. I don't want to be on a pedestal. I don't either. I don't want to be a guy that, this is why I don't show off a lot of my stuff. Mm -hmm. I show off cool stuff, like mm -hmm. when I'm doing something cool with a truck mm -hmm. or something like that, but I have things that people don't know about mm -hmm. that I don't ever care to show them because they don't, I don't, that's not, I don't get it, I don't get any sort of satisfaction out of showing isn't that. Isn't it funny? When you have nothing, you want to get all the stuff. And then when you have it, you're almost embarrassed to show Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. And so yeah. that's the thing. I'm not yeah. looking for recognition. Mm. I'm looking for, you know, this, this ability to have somebody who grew up like me, dirt poor. I got to tell you a story. And I might have told you this on your podcast. But when I grew up, I grew up dirt poor. My dad uh, was a Green Beret. He was in the military. Boom. Cancer. Brain tumor I know that. gets uh, medically discharged, and uh, this happened in right right around when I was born. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was born in Cumberland, Maryland, because my dad was at Walter Reed Hospital. The mm -hmm. whole family's from Utah. We're all based in Utah. Mm -hmm. You know, third, fourth, fifth generation Utahns, but we happened to be there for the for the military hospital. And so, this brain tumor hits him, and it comes in hot. Goes stage four malignant tumor in the left side of his brain, mm -hmm. and the doctor said. Uh, you got three, four weeks left to live. Mm. I mean, this is that's about it. And so my dad created, my mom and dad got together right after I was born. I, I'm the youngest of four. And they, they literally took a VHS uh, camcorder and recorded my dad introducing himself to us because mm. I would have been too young to, to remember him because he was supposed to die. Mm. And, you know, that right there wow. was a moment of... Wow. Total U-turn for my dad. He's in the mm. top one percentile of the military fitness. The, the dude was just kicking ass. He was mm. on track to just do mm. exactly what he wanted to do. And then his whole life got stopped. And I remember, <laughs> so wild. So the brain tumor miraculously goes away. You know, we talk about the, the, mm. the, the church stuff and some yep. of the religious stuff. He received a, a blessing from um, the man that I'm named after, David O'McKay, mm. uh, who's a prophet of the church. Mm. And... Uh, Three weeks after that blessing, cancer gone. Wow. Gone, dude. Wow. My dad, they removed his left lateral lobe, and so he always had this giant dent inside of his head. Wow. My dad was a, a, a peculiar man. In fact, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty funny story. He was uh, a sponsored surfer in Southern California. Really? Growing up, yeah, he, and uh, he became a convert to the church mm. uh, when he was like 16. And he was the first of the family to be converted to the church. Mm. And when he was 16, he was surfing, having a great time, 17, 18, getting time to, to go on a mission, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he's out surfing one day, 
and he's paddling along, and he's trying to decide whether he wants to go on a mission, because that's two years of your life. Yeah. And that's just leaving everything. And back then, missions were much more strict than they are now. Mm. You're talking no phones, no nothing, mm. no girlfriends, no, no nothing. Mm. And this big fin pops up next to him. And he's like, oh, shit, a shark. Come on. And he looks up and he says, God, if you make it so that this shark doesn't kill me, because he thought he was dead, he said, I'll go on a mission. That's awesome. And he starts to paddle for his life. Boom, up comes a dolphin. And and, and, and he looks up and he says, just kidding, God, it was a dolphin. But no, he knew in that moment, he knew in that moment that he had to do and he had to go and serve. And so my dad uh, was a spectacular man who, who, uh, you know, you talk about your dad a lot and how much you admire him. I admire the hell out of my dad too. My dad Mm. called called to serve his uh, mission in Germany. Mm. The average baptism rate for a missionary who serves in Germany is about one and a half people. My dad came home. The whole with, mission, the two years. For over the whole course mm-hmm. of two years. Germans are very rigid. Mm-hmm. They're not people who want to, mm-hmm. people knocking on their door talking about religion. Mm-hmm. My dad baptized over 55 people over the course of two years. That's incredible. And so he was this powerful man. Mm-hmm. And then he gets hit with this, with this tumor, right? Mm-hmm. And the tumor just completely humbles him. Mm-hmm. And so tumor goes away. I start growing up. Well, dad doesn't have an education. Dad's medically discharged from the military. Mm-hmm. Dad doesn't really have any sort of, you know, and this is back in like the, the late 80s when you kind of had to have a degree or something. Mm-hmm. Like entrepreneurship wasn't as big as it was back then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my family, we didn't have much. Mm-hmm. We had very little. My, and, and so my dad said, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to make this work. And so he learned how to install car stereos. Mm-hmm. And so while he's going through radiation treatment to continue to make sure the cancer's gone, he's sick as a dog. He's going out and, he's, and, he, and he was like one of the first mobile car stereo installers in Utah. And he, he would go to your work and bring in your stereo and install it. And by the time you were done with work, you'd come out and you'd have the bitchin' new stereo. Big business, though. And uh, it got to the point where he'd get so sick some days from radiation mm. that he taught my mom how to do it. So my mom would go out and install car stereos. Wow. Kids are at home with the sick dad. Mom's out installing car stereos to make ends meet. Oh, my gosh. He, uh, he then started to, you know, pick up a little bit and, and start to take on a little bit more. Starts delivering pizzas. Mm. So he did deliver pizzas for Domino's, and he installed car stereos. Do anything for his family. My mom was making my, all my school clothes. All mm. of our clothes were either homemade or hand-me-down. So... Mm. We grew up in this in this world where I knew that we didn't have a lot. I didn't think we were poor. I just mm. thought this was just kind of life. Mm. But I remember one day our family was saving up for a trampoline, and uh, we we wanted a trampoline so bad. All, all four of us, we were just take. I was mowing lawns left and right. Mm. It was like two dollars per lawn back then, and we had this uh, this old drink. I don't know if you remember. It's called Pero. It's like a fake mm. coffee. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a it's the weirdest like coffee drink non-coffee drink that mormons drink because okay. it didn't have caffeine okay. and there's this can on top of the fridge and we're putting our you know our dollars in it you know trying to save up for a tramp because our neighbors had tramps and it was the coolest thing in the world and uh, i think we needed 200 dollars at the time mm-hmm. and finally we were like almost there and i think i remember coming up with like the final final amount and we go to put it in there and the money's gone mm-hmm. and i'm like oh my gosh what happened where's the money at mm-hmm. and uh we go to mom and say, mom, money's gone. And she said, I'm sorry, guys. You know, dad, dad was sick this week. We didn't have any installations. Oh uh, we needed groceries. Oh that was the moment where I said, mm. 
I think that was one of the most defining moments in my life where I said, I'm always going to take it one step more and not be in this situation. My family will not be mm. in this situation growing up. And so I can see it on your face right now. Yeah, man, you, you, you got to go through, you got to go through trials. Yeah. And my dad was given every trial in the book, dude. Mm. I was, uh, I was blessed with 21 additional years. I shouldn't have had with him. He died. Yeah. I, he died in 2007 when I was 21, uh, in his blessing that he received when I was born, David McKay said, you live long enough to see your children grow up. Dude, I'm 21. I'm the youngest. I get home for my mission. My dad dies six months after I get home. So no coincidences there. I don't care if you believe in God or not. So basically, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a powerful thing that fortunately you and I were able to go through these trials, but there's people who haven't gone through trials. Mm -hmm. There's people who haven't experienced extreme hardships. And, and so I don't want anybody listening to this and watching this thinking like, well, I, I didn't have that big pivotal moment. I didn't have that hard moment that, that turned me into the monster that I want to become because you don't have to. No, of course not. You don't have to have that. Absolutely because not. Because guess what? You've got guys like Ed Milet who've created books like this. Mm-hmm. That's literally an instruction manual. We went through hardships and we share our experiences so that whether you have or have not, you can learn vicariously through other people. And I'm not just saying me and I'm not just saying Mm. Ed. There's a lot of people who have a lot of amazing stories out there, but Mm. it doesn't matter. What I'm getting at is Ed, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't. It doesn't matter your history. Mm. It doesn't matter who you've been told you should be or who you think you are Mm -hmm. because whether you're 10 or 85, there's always a reset button. There's always a reset. You always have one more day. Always one you more You have day. one more day. And because you have that one more day, regardless of your... By the way, you're completely right. You and I both know lots of really... We work really hard so our kids don't have to have those situations that you and I had. We both work really hard for that. So you can win from any place at any time. You were raised very wealthy. You got access to contacts and role models. You were raised poor. You know what you don't want. Right. You were raised... I was kind of lower middle class growing up. And I obviously had that situation in my house, but I know people from every single background that have been successful in life. It's the story you tell yourself about your life. And the bottom line is you gotta create a story where you prevail. And the good news is this, the author of the book of your life is you and whatever your God is in your life. And at any point you want to, there can be a plot twist. You can decide you're gonna write a new chapter, you're gonna step into becoming a new character, and that new version of you can be something completely special. And I have this hallucination when you die, you know, you and I talk a lot about faith and different stuff. I've made this up in my head. It's not even in my scripture belief. I believe I get introduced to the man I was capable of becoming when I die. I hear, I, I never understood that concept until I heard it from you. Yep. And it's your, for me, mm-hmm. and I believe you, it's the thing you're looking forward to the most. And it's also the thing you fear the most. It is. It's what keeps me going. I'm going to meet that guy that I could have been. That did the that had the memories, the moments, the time with his family, the contributions, the difference he made, all the great stuff in his life. I'm going to meet that guy I was capable of becoming. And for me, I'm chasing that man. I'm chasing that man. And when I get there, my version of heaven, so to speak, is that I get there and he goes, hey, man, I've seen you racing. You caught me. Yeah. We're identical twins. You're looking in the mirror. And I go, bro, I've been coming at you my whole life. Yeah. My whole life. That thing I did with Sparks that day, that was part of chasing you. Right, that book I wrote, that was part of chasing you. That getting up early training in the gym, that was part of chasing you. That laughing my ass off on the beach with my son, that was part of chasing you. All of that stuff was a chase you. To me, hell 
is you go meet that person and you're complete strangers. Yep. I don't want that. I want to meet that dude and be identical twins. And so Genius. I want everybody to do that. It's the perfect definition of the afterlife. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. Ed, when is the book available? June 1. June 1. So we're close. We're close. It's killing it on Amazon. Number one on Amazon. Has been for a while. So, yeah, we've sold a lot of them already. And uh, go get yours. Go get a couple. Give them away as gifts. This yeah. is something that you want to get to people that you care about, whose lives you want to improve. And I would just be honored that you would read it. And man, I have to just tell you, I'm so proud of you. And I'm really grateful you came all the way here. He, just so you all know, came all the way here to do this for me. I don't take that lightly. And I really mean what I said about you earlier, brother. Anything Thank I you. can ever do for you in yeah. your life, your family's life, you have not just a friend here. You have a complete ally. Yeah, and that it's, goes both ways, absolutely. And like you said, I uh, what you see in me, fortunately, I've been blessed with this just bizarre confidence in myself that mm-hmm. I, I also see it and mm-hmm. I know that there's more to come and I know that it's wild looking at you because you've accomplished so much but dude I just see so much more we're just getting started both of us bro. just getting started and so please tell me you're doing an audiobook I did I just finished it today before oh, you got here thank you because there's audiobook because most people like to re- yeah then a good book coming out yeah because a guy with ADD like me guess what I'm not gonna read your mm-hmm. whole book right. I just can't my brain won't do it yep. I'll try yep you I'll read the same page three times over and over and now I'm I, that way too I've really worked hard on my reading and plus the fact I wanted it to be in my voice too and so, yeah, you can get the audiobook right now, too, audio or the hardcover, whatever you want. So this is a pre-order period. Yep, you can get it. June 1, it's coming out. Guys, listen, this is one of the books I've been looking forward to more than, well, it's probably any other book I've ever mm-hmm. looked forward to. I mean, honestly, I we, were, we share with my friends here, I have an Audible collection. My Audible collection is huge. I, I'm yeah. big on books. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we were fighting on the way down because... Uh, my buddy Jason, who flies my plane, we flew down here in my plane, and uh, he uh, the the other day sent me a text. He said, "Hey, dude, you gotta check this book out. It's 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 called You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza." Mm. I said, "You son of a bitch! <laughs> I showed you that book four years ago." And he's over here taking credit for it. Get telling. And then Diesel Dave comes to me yesterday. He goes, "Dude, Jason showed me this book. You wouldn't believe it. It's called You Are." I said, "You know, listen to me." So I'm I'm big on books. It's it's, yeah. it's a thing that audio books are huge for me. me so. Too. That is one kind of going to be one of my closing questions for you. Yeah. Give my listeners three books that you think they should read. Aside from any scripture books, I would read Think and Grow Rich. I would read um, The Magic of Thinking Big, which my daughter's reading right now. Yeah, write that down. I don't think I've heard of and, that. And uh, that was a great book. And um, there's a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. That's a good one. Which is a really, really good book. I could name a hundred for you. Have you read The Four Agreements? The Four Agreements is tremendous. You know who told me to read that book? Tom Brady. Really? Yeah, Tom Brady had me read that book, which, by the way, that's a guy who has equanimity under pressure. Oh, yeah. That's a guy who can, when it's the noisiest and the most crazy, he goes into a state of equanimity. All the people that you admire the most, by the way, in your life have equanimity when pressure's high. Four Agreements is awesome. There's so many great books. There's this book called The Dream Catcher. That's an unbelievable book, too, that you would love to read. There's just so many great books, but those would be a few. Well, guys. Oh, I'll give you one since we're talking about faith stuff. Um, I believe it's called Stand for Something by Gordon B. Hinckley. Hey. And it's a great book. I mean, it is a classic great book, and so I would recommend that, too. You know know why that's so important, and we talked about this off camera a little bit, Mm -hmm. is there's a lot of high-profile, highly influential people in this world Mm -hmm. who, when you really dig down into it, what do they stand for? Mm Mm-hmm. What is it? Mm-hmm. 
are they just kind of riding that middle line, just riding the fence, just just mm-hmm. trying to not ruffle any feathers here, ruffle any feathers there? Andy Frazella is a perfect example of somebody who he stands for something, and he's it. on his side of the line, and he will tell you exactly how he feels about yep. it. And then there's other guys on the way on the other side of the line who don't want to ruffle any feathers, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of, you know, they're influential, but they're yeah. trying to deliver information. I believe that you toe the line in a way that that allows you to not offend these people, mm-hmm. but change these people's lives. Here's the point on that. Really simple for me. Everybody knows exactly what I stand for, but I try to stand for it in such a way that I might actually influence you. There's one way of standing for something where it's just so alienating yeah. and off-putting that you're not changing anybody's mind. You're just getting people who already agree with you to agree with you. Exactly. Right. And I want to be somebody who I can get people who may not yet agree with me to agree with me. That's what you did to me with blissful dissatisfaction. Thank That's you. what you did to my wife. That's what you did to my family. You've you've mm-hmm. you've, been, you've created this ripple effect in my family, mm-hmm. which now is. I'm I'm a bigger ripple. Yeah. That's that's going like dude. Think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. You're one of the first personal development people other than Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. which by the way, I got a really cool story we'll talk about in the next mm-hmm. podcast about my family and Tony Robbins. But one of the first people who I really connected with your words and inspired me to start doing a podcast. So That's great. Take it back a few steps. Mm-hmm. The alcoholic who Stop drinking, who helped your dad stop drinking. Yeah. This chain and this connection comes all the way and to the you. compounding that effect. That now, millions of people will watch and listen to this. Yeah. What 20 year old kid is watching this and he's thinking, I'm going to do that. I've got a platform. Yeah. I can have a platform. I, I resonate with this. I, I want to change people's lives. I want to deliver I good, solid it, information. Amen. I love so it. what you're doing is powerful work. You're an amazing man. Thank it's, you, bro. Guys, I want you to know this. Ed, it, he, it'd be very easy for Ed to fool you on camera or on audio because he's just so polished and so professional. But I'm telling you right now, He's better off camera. Thank He's you, better man. off the microphone. He's a genuine person. When he texts me, he tells me he loves me. He calls mm-hmm. me brother. He's just that type of guy. So I want you to take that into consideration as you're reading his content so that you know that this is sincerely from the heart and that he wrote this during probably one of the hardest times of his life, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. That's Thank a very you. selfless move of you. Thank you, bro. And you know, it's it's something that you needed to do. That was a that was a very big one more for you. Thanks. And so you're living what you're preaching, and you're a powerful man. And I'm grateful for you. you our man. our listeners are grateful for you. The world is grateful for you. And my final closing question is going to be: Who inspires you? Who, dead or alive, give me a couple of people who've inspired you that our listeners could maybe look into. Well, my dad inspired me the most. Um, and obviously, this is aside from people and, you know, for me, Jesus and my faith life. So that's my ultimate inspiration. But, um, you know, I have a sister who inspires me, yeah. who you'll not know. My sister, my middle sister is um, blind. Really? She was born with diabetes and she lost her vision. Fully blind. Fully blind. She can see some things. She can't drive. She can't, uh, she's legally blind. She's a school teacher, fourth grade Christian school teacher. Wow. She doesn't make any money. But the reason I admire her is because she's living a great life. She's taken her gifts and using them in the service of other people. Her gifts are her ability to teach, her patience, her kindness. She's gentle. 
she's four foot eleven, so she's the same height as all her students, right? Wow. And she's uh, somebody that inspires people. Imagine being a student, you have a teacher who's blind, she can't even grade your papers on her own, and she's everyone's favorite teacher. So she inspires me. Um, I wrote my dissertation in college, which was really hard because I barely got out, on Dr. Martin Luther King. And I love Dr. King because he had a dream, but also I know a lot about Dr. King. And most people wouldn't tell you this, but he was also a flawed person. He wasn't a perfect man. No. He had flaws himself, yet he o overcame those flaws and is maybe the most influential person of the last century. Yeah. And has changed more people's lives, arguably, than any living, any living or dead human being in the last hundred years. And he did so as not a perfect man. It's because he didn't let self-judgment, shame, or guilt weigh him down. You got it. Which is exactly going back to the reason, you know, why I started doing the podcast again, because I can't, I can't let my dumb little mistakes or things that I, that I slip up on affect who hears this message. Mm -hmm. how, how many lives are going to change because of the fact that we're sitting here talking about the, I mean, literally the back of the book says revolutionary strategies that will change your life forever. And that is definitely not just some hocus pocus, some, Thank some, you. some slogan. This is Thank legitimately life changing stuff written in a format that anybody can understand. Take your time, like take your time, digest and process this stuff because some of the things he says, it's tricky mm -hmm. because he uses simple words in complex formats that mean very deep things. Mm. And it's, it's actually kind of fun. Mm. Sometimes you say things that are almost like riddles because mm -hmm. they're like so simple. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, blissful dissatisfaction is a great example of that. It's like, okay. what the hell is that? How do mm -hmm. I live that? And then you start diving deeper into it. So thank you, bro. all I want to say is thank you. And I want to tell every single one of you, go get Ed's book, whether it's the audio book, go to Amazon. And like Ed said, you can make a difference by buying two, three copies, giving them to a friend or a family member, somebody who you feel like could use this information. I personally believe that everybody could use this information. So I'm going to be sharing. I'm going to buy, I'll probably buy a truckload of these books and Thank dish you, them man. out. You have a truckload. I'll get you a truckload. Yeah. No, listen to me. I, I legitimately, your content has single-handedly, I think it's been the, the, the it's been the single-handedly most influential on me personally simply because of the way that you live. I see the way you live. Thank you. I hear the way you talk. I like the message that you deliver, and it just connects. Thank you, And man. I think that's why you've been so successful, and I think that's why this next chapter of yours is going to be even more successful because, dude, I see it in you. You, you're, you, you have the energy Thank you. Of, of a 19-year-old. Yeah. You still have the energy of, of, of Eddie, who was playing baseball, who was ready to make it to the, the major leagues. Yep. And you, you, that's rare. Those feelings are mutual. You got me fired up. When my foot, my right leg taps like this, you got me fired up. <laughs> Good, so I'm ready man. to roll, man. Love it. Thank All right. you. Guys, listen, like I said, we have a back-to-back, -back, so we are going to reset. We're going to cool off. We might go out, sit on the, on yeah, the deck, we and we are going to, uh, we're just going to have a chat with Ed, and it's going to be very candid. It's going to be a second episode following this one, but uh, you can find all the information about Ed on your website. Social media, edmylet.com. Just type E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. -T. You'll get me. Your Instagram is solid. Thank you. You're dialed. You're disciplined. Thanks, man. Uh, and that's just Ed Milet. Ed Milet. E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. -T. Yep. That's where I would go first, guys, because Ed does a lot of uh, max out challenges. He does a lot of cool stuff. You give people rides giveaways. on your planes. Yeah, a lot of giveaways. We love giveaways. Dude, you're this, the king of giveaways. We're, we, we're the giveaway yeah. kings. Yeah, we I'm a that. junior giveaway guy, but we, I do do that. No, miss, like, it's it's... 
Ed provides ways for you to be able to experience his world in a really fun, unique way. So if you're interested in that, check out his pages. But definitely the first thing you should be doing, right? Like you should have paused the podcast 20 minutes ago and gone and ordered the book because it's a life changer. I promise you that. So Ed, thank you for having us. Thank you for your time. And, and just thank you for thank you for just continuing to, to be you. And even when times get tough, like I know they have been losing your dad. I know that was a big freaking deal. Mm. Instead, you just put your head down, went to work and created something that's probably just going to change the world. Thank you for being here, man. I love you and I'm proud of you. And this was great today. Man. I love you too, I brother. Thank so you. Much. Thanks.